again. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 15. If you would stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Word of the Lord says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. God, thank you that you're so good to us. Father, I pray, God, that you would just be with us today. Lord, that it would not be my words spoken, but yours spoken through me. That those who would have an ear, let them hear the declaration of your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> this morning, I, I, I want to talk to us about the supremacy of, of Christ. It's something that is at the very heart and the core of our beliefs is that Christ is supreme. It is, this is a foundational concept for us, that, that Jesus has to be supreme in order to die on the cross and forgive all sins. That Jesus has to be supreme in order for us to be healed. Jesus has to be supreme in order for, for demons to be cast out. Jesus is supreme. That's a basic foundational thing that I'd like to speak on this morning. In this passage, we see Paul writing to uh, the Colossian church, and he's writing and he's opening up his letter to the Colossian church, and he's addressing the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Paul, he's addressing the place of Jesus compared to everything else. Where does Jesus sit? Where, where is he at in the, in, in the whole church kind of understanding? What, what is his place in the church? The Colossian church actually dealt a lot with uh, one specific problem, and that was the, the problem of idolatry. The Colossian church would, would begin, and they would, uh, in some ways, they had influence from outside, from pagan, uh, pagan beliefs that would come in and bring idols in. But then at the same time, they would also have idolatry from those who would become, who would be Jewish believers. Jewish believers were, were, would really essentially make an idol out of the Torah, the law. And so they made themselves an idol out of the law, and, and other people would make themselves idols out of false gods. And, and Paul is, is writing, and he's addressing this false belief or this false understanding of Jesus, is that compared to Jesus, nothing else stands against him. Compared to Jesus, there is nothing greater, that he is the greatest. And so we see this in verses 15 through 20, and, and we see the very first verse in verse 15 that his divinity is being declared. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so we see that, that there is uh, this kind of understanding that we have is that the, the title, there's a title given, but also 
the divinity being declared of Jesus. That he is the image of God. Jesus is God. This is his divinity. And then again, that title. The firstborn over all creation. Firstborn is used here as a term of status. I think it's important for us to understand this because this, uh, this passage is used as a... Um, this passage is used heretically. Uh, it, it's used in a way that would, be, would say, okay, see, Jesus being firstborn, that means that he's created, and so therefore he's a created being. All right, the, the Council of Nicaea, the, the very first council, actually uh, was created, and, and when they canonized the entirety of Scripture, meaning that they chose which books went with Scripture and, and all of those things through the Holy Spirit, they also declared there's a heresy that was out there called Arianism, which is the belief that, that God the Father is God, and then we have other beliefs that are uh, other uh, individuals like the Son and the Holy Spirit that are created beings from God. And so Jesus isn't necessarily God, but Jesus is created by God. This is heresy. This is not true. This is not what Scripture would entail. And so this, maybe you've heard it preached before that this specific passage was, okay, he's the firstborn, he's the first created. Some, some uh, translations that would be false translations uh, would, would say that uh, the, in verse 16, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all other things were created. There, there's, a, there's instead of all things were created. And so here again, we have this declaration of firstborn, but it's not that he was created. It's in fact the status that Jesus has. Jesus is not the first created. He is the firstborn. This is the status of Jesus. The firstborn son was the most important person in the family line. There's somebody that would inherit a double portion of the inheritance an individual that, would, that holds authority in the household, that once, once the patriarch or the, or, or the father of the family would die, the, 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 the leadership of the entire family would then be passed to the firstborn son. That they now become the leader of the family. This is what Paul is writing here and discussing. Not that he was created, but that he holds this position of firstborn. Israel is given the title firstborn. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 through 23, God speaking, or he's, he's telling Moses, this is what you say to Pharaoh. He says, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. This is God speaking to Moses, or speaking through Moses to Pharaoh, saying, look, this is my firstborn. This is, this is the, the, my favorite people. The firstborn son is Israel. This is my firstborn. And because you have hurt my firstborn, I'm going to take your firstborn away from you. It was very, very important to, to, to see this. It's not just that God is, is a... Is a angry, vengeful God that is wanting to kill people. That's not, that's, sometimes we read all the Old Testament and, and we think that. The reality is, is that what he's saying, what God is speaking to Pharaoh is, because you have done this to my firstborn, I will just simply do it to yours. Because the status is my firstborn is great. 
We also see it in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9. Jeremiah is speaking of the restoration of God's people. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Again, this, there's this status that is being established here. It's not, it is not that, that Ephraim was the firstborn. Ephraim wasn't even in the twelve. He was a, he was a, a smaller piece, right? Ephraim and Manasseh were, were sons of Joseph, one of the twelve sons of Israel. But here we have this understanding that there is firstborn. This is status that is given. See, this title is to show that it is Jesus who rules and reigns. The point of of Him being given the title firstborn of all creation. What that means is that He has authority over all creation. That every single part of creation He has control of. He has power over. There is nothing that Jesus does not have power over. Then we see in verse 16... This verse continuing that understanding of firstborn. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He says all things were created. For in Him all things were created. It's important that we understand that all means all. It is not simply just the things that, that we want Him to be over. But all means all. And then it's specified again. If, if, if that first part of verse 16 wasn't enough for us, if, if we just sit there and say, for in Him all things were created, and we're still scratching our heads saying, well, what does all really mean? Then He says things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all have been created through Him and for Him. That final piece, being created through Him and for Him, that's the culmination of this verse that, that he's describing and expressing and, and, and this, this understanding of all means all. It's not just everything that we see. It's even the things we don't see. It's not even the things that, that we see on this earth and we have on this earth and in, in a, the physical. It's, it's also the supernatural, the things in heaven, all things were created. Every single thing that has ever existed in any time and space was created by Jesus. He is the firstborn and the supreme. And then through Him and for Him. Everything, this, again, the culmination of this verse, and I think it's important for us to know that everything, no matter how nefarious it may be, is for Him. Just think about that for a moment. Even wickedness, not created by Him, God doesn't create sin, but is used for His glory. It's an interesting concept and a difficult concept sometimes for us to believe that how in the world could God use a corrupt individual, a wicked individual for his glory. 
How in the world would, would the Lord use a, a, an evil, vile government? How in the world would, would, would the Lord use evil people for His glory? And the reality is, is because He's supreme of all of it. It's either He, he shows His glory through humbling and breaking those things, or He shows His glory through us being fully devoted to Him. See, this is why when, when we look at the world, that there's some times where our hearts would be troubled by the times that we're in. Oh, this is happening, this is going on. But if the reality is, if we view things through the lens of Scripture, we would sit there and say, but even this evil thing is going to be used for His glory. Even this wickedness that's going to be used. Even when people decide to continue to turn on the church. Even when, when we actually are under attack. He'll use all of that for his glory. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place, firstborn of all creation, and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven, all of the heavenly things, on earth, all of the earthly things, and under the earth, all of the powers of hell will bow their knee to Jesus. All of the wicked things, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is important for us, that Jesus, the firstborn, again, all things are created in Him and through Him and for Him. It's not just the things that we want, it's the things that we don't want too. It's not just the hurt, it's not just the good feelings, it's the hurt too. All of those things are being used for His glory. Maybe you walked in here again and, and, and you're, you're feeling broken and hurt and, and, and just really just, this is again the, the end of your rope. And maybe, just maybe, the Lord wants to take all of those things and use it for his glory. He wants to heal. He wants to set free. He wants to move. Why? Because it's all for his glory. The supremacy of God. The supremacy of Christ. That there is no one greater, there is no power greater, there is nothing ever created that will ever be greater than Jesus. Are, are you listening to me this morning? I don't think we get this. Jesus is supreme, but I mean, I mean, look at the economy. Jesus is supreme, I mean, but look at the... I mean, what, are, what about this government? Jesus is supreme. Well, but, I mean, what about, what about my family? Jesus is supreme. There's no ifs or buts. There's no take backs. There is no, there is no parentheses asterisk in this. It says Jesus is supreme over everything except for the government.
Jesus is supreme. And then verse 17 continues that thought. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything that is in existence right now, everything that exists, the entire cosmos, all of the stars in the sky, all of the waves on the ocean, every single person that exists is because God wills it to exist. It's because Jesus wills it. It isn't that he's up there like he's like, oh, I gotta keep everything together here. Like he's, he's trying to make sure, you know, he's spinning plates up there trying to make sure everything goes right. And then all of a sudden a plate falls and then there goes... There's another world war, the plate falls. No, it's he just wills it. The fact that he is existing and wills it. That's all of us have our being because he wills it. And then the point of this passage, verse 18, 19, and 20. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Again, that firstborn used from among the dead. We are resurrected bodies if we're in Christ. We no longer have to die. And Jesus is supreme over the church. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The point of this passage is not just to sit there and say, Jesus is supreme. The point of this passage is, okay, Jesus is supreme. What does that mean for us? Well, the fact that Jesus is supreme, that, that means that, that in all things, if he's supreme over everything, that it also gives us a reason of why he has that position in order to reconcile us to God. Jesus is supreme so that all things can be reconciled to God, whether on earth or in heaven. Every single thing in all of creation is being reconciled back to God. Why? Because Jesus is supreme. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. It is through the work of Jesus on the cross that we are fully reconciled back to God. It is Jesus who provides the way for all of creation to be reconciled. The sacrifice of cross, Christ on the cross exhausted the power of sin, destroying the barrier between God and us. This is, this is very heavy and foundational things for us. Yes, Jesus gives us hope, identity, and life. But it's only through our declaration that he is supreme that we achieve that. The point of showing that Jesus is supreme, again, is to prove that we can be reconciled and he is worthy of all the honor and glory. If Jesus, again, I said it at the very beginning, but if Jesus wasn't supreme over everything, then what he did on the cross is, is a moot point. It means nothing. 
that what Jesus did on the cross was so that we could be, because he's supreme and made the firstborn of all creation, that we can be saved and reconciled. That we don't have to pay the price for our sin. That we can be made new. Why? Because Jesus is supreme. And what he did on the cross reconciled us. Gave us a pathway to be fully reconciled and reconnected and restored back to God. That's what Jesus did. And so the question that I have for us this morning is, are you reconciled? I guess a better question is to add one more word in there. Are you fully reconciled? How often do we as believers sit there and say, yeah, I'm reconciled, but there's still sin in your life. You still allow things to worm their way in. I'm fully reconciled. Yeah, you're still bitter. I'm reconciled. Yeah, well, you're still dealing with that porn addiction. I'm reconciled. Yeah, well, man, you're still wiling out during the week. I'm reconciled on Sundays and Wednesdays. What about Monday? Are you fully reconciled? This passage shows us that Jesus is Lord of everything. Again, supremacy of Christ. He is over everything. And all means all. He is sovereign over all. What this means for the believer is that there is no middle ground. I talked about this last week a little bit whenever I, I, I talked about Jesus talking about, hey, you're either for the kingdom or you're against the kingdom. See, God is a very black and white God. Jesus is very black and white. You're either for me or you're not. You're either reconciled or you're not. That's not just little thing. Like It's not just, yeah, I'm, I'm 98% reconciled, but there's this one little corner of my life that I haven't given up to God yet. There's one little thing that I just, I, I like that sin over there, and, and, and I can keep it secret and hidden, and nobody has to know about it, and so therefore, it's okay. It's not hurting anyone. How often do we hear that? And yet, to be fully reconciled is to make Jesus Lord over everything. Matthew, Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He's speaking about money here, but this could also be used for a number of other things. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and your family. You cannot serve both God and your job, both God and your status. Can't do it. <laughs> 
And so the Lord and, and my, my hope for us this morning is that we would all fully commit to being fully reconciled. Because the fact of the matter is that if Jesus isn't Lord of all, then he isn't Lord at all. Say it again, if, if he isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. It means that there's no room for the bondage of sin. I'm not saying that you're not going to struggle with temptation. But there's no room for the bondage of sin. If you, if you make him Lord of all, then you're, you're, you're free from those things. They don't have a place in your heart anymore. Because you've given that to the Lord. It means that there's no room for idolatry. How often do we make idols out of things for ourselves? How often do we sit there, and, and here's a good way to, to know if you've made an idol. And, and please hear me on this, and I'll explain in a moment, but what keeps you away from God or even from the gathering of believers at church? That could be an idol. Now hear me, I'm not sitting there and saying that coming to church makes you saved. However, coming to church and being part of the body of Christ is part of being saved. That's evidence that you are. Because you, you cannot sit there, again, you, you can't sit there and say, yeah, I love the Lord, I love Jesus, I love his word. Great, you know where it says that you shouldn't forsake the meeting of the brethren? Is that passage in there? Or are you like all the other passages? I, I miss that one that's like, you know what? It's, yeah, like go to church whenever you feel like it. Brothers and sisters, I love you. But sometimes even I don't feel like it. I'm tired, I'm worn out, I don't feel good, whatever that looks like. Pop a couple Dayquil and come up here. It is what it is. The meeting of the brethren is important. If it gets in the way of those things, then and that might become an idol in your life. Maybe, maybe even what God is calling you to, there are things that you would rather keep or have that supersede that calling. And those things become idols. Maybe the Lord's calling you out to a different job. Maybe it's a different position. Maybe you have to take a pay cut. Do it. Just, Lord's like, hey, just trust me. But God, it's, it's comfortable here. I know the people here. It's, it's nice here. I, I, could just, I could just go and kind of, like, I know my job so well. It's just, you know, I could do it with my eyes closed in my sleep. Great. God's saying, go somewhere else. But that's uncomfortable. God's like, that's the point, so you'll trust me. 
But what's an idol? Your comfortability or am I God? Maybe it's a person. Getting in the way of what the Lord wants for you fully. That person worth? That family member worth? Is that relationship worth your calling? Is Jesus supreme over everything? Is he Lord? Is he Lord of your heart? All of your heart, not just some of it. That means that if he's Lord of everything, then, then you're, even if you struggle with anxiety, you're still giving it to the Lord and you're finding joy that comes. You're finding comfort that comes. You struggle from depression in your heart. And you struggle with bitterness in your heart. All of those things, you give it all to the Lord. And again, I'm not saying that it's going to happen overnight. And you're miraculously going to be all of the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to be in your heart and it's going to be wonderful. Following Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus is not an easy life, but it's a better life. Is he Lord? Is he Lord of your family? Sometimes we're so, and, and hear me, I, I'm in the same boat. We're so worried about the souls of our family members. And Jesus is just like, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm Lord of them. You don't see what I'm, God's like, you don't see what I'm doing. What I'm working on their hearts and I'm moving in even that one family member that you just can't stand. You're like going to Thanksgiving, you're like, Lord, please let this person not be there. Like let their flight be delayed. I don't even know, what, whatever. Like let them only get a snowstorm right in their town and that's it. Everyone else is fine. Let them have an, uh, let them, be allergic to turkey, and that's why they can't come on Thanksgiving. Whatever it is. What if God's working and, and all he's saying, hey, just give it to me. That's it. Just make me Lord of it. Stop trying to be God in your family. You're not God. How many times do we take things into our own hands? All well-meaning. God's just like, just let, make me Lord of it. It's fine. See, Lord of your workplace. No matter what that boss says, no matter what your supervisor says, no matter what that coworker says, no matter what that customer does, Jesus, you're Lord of it. Even that horrible run-in with that, that customer, that guest, man, I remember having horrible run-ins with guests when I worked at Cracker Barrel. And it would like get to me, like, and that was just Cracker Barrel. Like, y'all have better jobs than that. Lord, you're, Jesus, you're Lord of it. Whatever happens, you're Lord of it. Is he Lord of your city, of your state, 
of your country. Is he Lord of it? Are we too worried about what's going on? Are we saying, Lord, you're, you're Lord over everything. All things will bring you glory. Even in the breaking and the falling of the proud, all things will bring you glory. You're Lord over all. Is he Lord of your future? Jesus, whatever it is, you're Lord of it. I know that if you bring me to it, you'll bring me through it. I know that if you're going to be with me, that if you're for me, no one can be against me. I know that you're going to lead me. Lord, I know that you're my shepherd, and I'll want for nothing. You're Lord over everything. Again, it is by the proclamation that Jesus is Lord of all that we become new. Scripture says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. How do we become in Christ? By sitting there and saying, Jesus, you are Lord, not just Lord over, not just Lord over them, but Lord over me. Jesus, you're not just Lord over those things, you're Lord over all things. Jesus, you have supremacy over every single aspect of my life. You are Lord of all forever and ever. And it is only through that proclamation that we are made new. I want every single person in this room to understand this. That if you do not make Jesus Lord over everything, and all means all, then you're missing out on being the new creation. I understand this is heavy. I get it. I understand that this is not is a black and white kind of angry preacher sermon. I understand that. But I love you too much. I care about your soul too much. to just preach a feel-good sermon and let you continue not making Jesus Lord over everything. My hope and my prayer this morning is that you would declare Jesus as Lord over everything. And there's some of you that have been in here that have been a believer for years and years and years. And you still haven't done this. There's some of you in this place, you've called Jesus Lord over most of it, but not all of it. This morning is that time. This morning is the time. Now is the time to declare that he's Lord over all of it all of your past, all of your future, all of it, all of your hurt, all of your shame, all of it. Every single thing we declare Jesus as Lord of all of it, we're made new. And my invitation for us is calling us into greatness, being able to sit there and say, Lord, you're leading 
Jesus, your Lord, over everything and experiencing what it's like to be fully new. It's my prayer and my want for you. So will you be fully reconciled today? Let's pray.